Every corner of the digital universe. You can instant link to the internet. And Stravi Mailer E3 video phone. Technology called I smell. Smelling mold and mildew and animals. Man, I got to smell a swamp today. Welcome to Water Cold Potato, your guide to the obsolete and absurd tech of the past, present, and future. I'm Kevin. I'm John. And today's topic was requested by one of our viewers. I hope you're not tired of talking about CDs, John. Oh boy. Because today we're talking about Laserdisc. <laughs> Before we get into it, though, I do have to make a slight disclaimer. Last year, the company celebrated their 40th anniversary, and it's now their 41st anniversary, and their website is still up. What I find funny is that their website description is Collections, Wishlist, Marketplace of Obsolete and Niche Video Formats. So it fits nicely in our motto. Anyways, on with the story. Laserdisc was a home video format and the first commercial optical disc storage medium in the U.S. in 1978. It started development in the mid-1960s and released in the mid-1970s. Laserdisc allowed you to buy movies and similar content and watch it at home. Prices ranged from $4.95 to $14.95, depending on the length of the video, whether it was 30 minutes, an hour, or a film. The pricing for the time was decent, but one of Laserdisc's problems was that owning videos and watching them from home was a foreign concept in the 1970s. If people wanted to listen to music, they bought a record at the record store. Watching movies at home was only for the super wealthy because it required projectors, which were very expensive. That's where Laserdisc comes in, and after 10 years of development in 1975, it was released for $699. Accounting for inflation, that's $3,328. So that's for the player? Yeah. Okay. There were many problems with its launch. Not really technical, but first was that Laserdisc created their own market, which is a big problem on its own. Another problem was that people didn't see a reason to buy a Laserdisc because the disc was 12 inches. It was easily <laughs> scratched. Buying records were far simpler, and the marketing was confusing. Some names were to advertise the Laserdisc was Magnavision, Discovision, and Laservision. Laser vision? Laser vision. Oh boy. All in the same ad. All the three of these terms were on the same ad. What really hurt Laserdisc was that two years after it was finally released to the public, VHS hit the market. You can record your favorite TV shows with the push of a button, and even set a timer to record so you can do other things in your life, like watch one show at the same time while the VHS records the other. While the cheapest VHS player sold for $9.99, or $4,222 accounting for inflation, blank VHSs sold for $16.95, rather than the $5 Laserdiscs, so they were more expensive. However, by the late 1970s, Laserdisc had 2% of the market share in the US. Its best country, Japan, was at 10%. Since not many people had Laserdiscs, not many movies were released, creating a never-ending problem of not a lot of people owning the player, and thus not a lot of content is released, not a lot of content is released, so people don't buy the player. Right. VHS had an easier time getting movies, increasing its popularity even more. Over the years, Laserdisc became a collector's item and faded away into history, but not completely. Wow. If I remember right, 
I could be wrong, but I thought I heard somewhere that you couldn't even record to Laserdisc yourself, so you couldn't make your own Laserdisc recordings. Nope. And another thing is, yeah, you can buy the discs, but you can't reuse them. VHS tapes, you can. So if you get a blank one, and then you can just keep rewriting over your old episodes, so you can keep watching up to all your favorite TV shows. Right. <sighs> That's another one of the things that didn't help Laserdisc popularity. And didn't they have a maximum length of one hour? Like a half hour? They were double-sided, weren't they? Like a half hour on each side? I thought I heard that or read that somewhere, but I'm not entirely sure. I know they were double-sided. Like, you'd flip it over to side B. Okay. What I do know for certain is that it was 12 inches in diameter. Today's CDs are like... Five? Yeah. Yeah, about five inches. So going from 5 to 12, it greatly increases the chances of you dropping the disc and it getting scratched and all that jazz. Yeah, and I think I also read somewhere that they spun really, really fast. Like, ridiculously fast. Thousands of RPMs. So I found something that says an 8-inch laser disc would spin at 1,800 RPMs. That is... 1,800. That's ridiculously fast. I, I saw a video somewhere on YouTube where someone had a laser disc spin up and it sounded like a jet turbine spinning up. 1,500 things can be loud. 1,800, yeah. Hard disk drives easily spin at like 1,200. Or 720. But that's sealed and everything's bolted in place. True. And the platters are like three or four inches across for a full-size hard drive. Mm-hmm. And very well balanced and everything. But with these discs, they're not bolted down. They're probably not that well balanced. And they are probably going to make some noise. And they're 12 inches. Hmm. Maybe just turn up the volume in your movie? <laughs> I guess. Mm. Just crank up that surround sound. Did they have surround sound in the 70s? Hmm. I don't know. I mean, I imagine you could just... I don't know either. You could probably just put speakers everywhere, but whether they had separate channels or whether Laserdisc supported that, I don't know. Hmm, I don't know. Wasn't it like, um... Wasn't it an analog signal written to the disc instead of digital? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's kind of strange to think of. I mean, now with all our CDs, DVDs, oh, and yeah. Blu-rays being digital data written to the disc. Hmm. I suppose if we, we would dive into how that would work, that would get technical and complicated fast. I'm guessing... Hmm. Yeah, let's... I'm not going to go there without researching it at all. <laughs> Me neither. If I remember right... Laserdisc was supposed to have good picture quality, so that was one of its benefits. Oh yeah, that was one of their advertising. One of the things about their advertising, you can get really good picture quality, assuming you didn't get any scratches on it. Right, and since they were double-sided, there's no way you could set it down other than in the case, without scratching it. Oh. Yeah, even a 5-inch double-sided DVD is kind of tricky to handle. Yeah. Let alone a 12-inch. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah, and if I remember right, 
they're kind of thick, aren't they? Like, I found a picture comparing a CD and a laser disc, and I'm gonna show that to mm -hmm. you. Here you go. Yep, I saw one of those. <laughs> they're huge. It's kind of like going from five-inch speakers to twelve-inch. It, it's a big difference. A lot of other things, five-inch to twelve is big when you're talking about circles or squares. Yeah, I mean, like. Imagine putting a record into your DVD player. That's, uh, that's about what it would be like. Yeah, that's pretty much what it is. <laughs> yeah, it's actually very similar to a record. It's analog data, it's double-sided, mm -hmm. and it's uh, roughly the same size. And it's 30 or 60 minutes per side. It depends if it's a CAV disc or a CLV disc. Ah, not sure how they're different, but there's something about different formats, which allows one of them to store double the amount of information. Hmm. Was it actually able to store double the amount, or was it just able to hold twice the length at lower quality? According to this old forum in 2001, this person says the CAV had the ability to access and freeze a specific frame. For that time period, that was a pretty cool feature to be able to go frame by frame. Oh, yeah. Early VCRs couldn't pause at all, but oh. later ones eventually, like, you wouldn't be able to get a picture if you stopped the tape moving, so I think, I don't know, hmm. maybe I don't know what I'm talking about. Okay, so on this 18-year-old forum, CAV discs were played at three times the normal speed. So, wait. What? Like, spun three times faster? Yep. The higher number of frames per second seemed to result in super realistic images. Ah. Which I can kind of picture. Another benefit was the ability to access and freeze a specific frame, going frame by frame. Ah. Interesting. Oh, yeah. And CLV, L stands for linear, and CAV stands for angular. So, whether it changes in speed or not. Hmm. Okay. Of course, CLV was preferred by most people because would you rather flip the disc every 60 minutes or 30 minutes? Most people would go, um, 60. <laughs> but of course, the 30 minutes would be higher quality. Right. So, of course, there was trade-offs for everything. And if you had 30 minutes per side, you couldn't fit a movie, so you would need a second disc, and then one side would be wasted because you wouldn't need the entire second side of the second disc. Or you can do one side CAV and the other side CLC. Hmm. You just want to put the better part of the movie, quote unquote, on the CAV side and everything else on the CLV. <laughs> I guess. That's one way to do it. I mean, that way it doesn't create, as you mentioned before, half a disc left unused. I guess. That would get annoying. If the movie was over two hours long, that'd be really irritating. <laughs> Especially if they just did it in 30 minute chunks. Yeah, imagine if you had to go and flip. Like, imagine binge. It just gets to a good part of the movie and it ran out. You have to flip the disc. Or imagine binge watching Netflix, but you've got to get up and flip a disc every half hour. Mm. Oh my gosh. <laughs> That's actually kind of funny if you think about it. How would people binge watch all their favorite TV shows and anime? No, they have to get up from the couch. They would just simply grab their crate of laser discs, 
wheel it over to the TV and get a stack of discs queued up and ready to go. Mm. Yeah, if LaserDisc was still mainstream, oh. I suppose that would have been that would have been developed. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. But like, hmm. <laughs> well, mm. yeah. So huge. like, remember those? Um, have you ever seen one of those automatic record changers? Like you stack up several discs and it like plays to the end of one and then another one drops down. Mm. <laughs> but then imagine a stack of unbalanced laser discs spinning at 1800 RPM. Uh, <laughs> I'm guessing no it would thanks. at the very least be extremely loud and probably also vibrate a lot and maybe not be very safe. Yeah. How much did did it weigh? Probably quite a bit if it was 12 inches across. So according to this random person on the internet, it's about 200 grams. Hmm. That's... I mean, yeah, that's kind of heavy. Oh, yeah, and you were right disc. about it's thicker. It's twice as thick as a CD. Ah, wow. <laughs> if I ever see one of these in a thrift store, I'm going to get one. I would too, though I highly doubt I'll ever see one. <laughs> I don't know what I'd do with it. I guess I'll have to keep my eyes open. Just hanging up on the wall? Hanging on the wall. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Yeah. <laughs> Great minds think alike. We could get some letters made from that window cling-like material, and we could, like, turn it into uh, some kind of logo for the show. Hmm. What if in the future... I mean, I, I kind of like our logo right now, but it would be cool if we had... It's, had our logo made out of a bunch of different obsolete and weird tech, like Laserdisc and a bunch of other things. Though it'd probably be hard to read. Well, we could do just regular text. Yeah. We wouldn't have to try to make... Making letters would be hard. If I ever get around to doing it in Blender, if I could just have, like, some random stuff laying in the background, like a QCAT and a mm, Laserdisc. That'd be cool. Let's see, a QCAT, a laser disc, flex play, DivX, it'll be a lot of discs. Oh yep. I mean and hmm, our listener flex. must have really wanted us to keep going on about this technology. Because <laughs> that's what she requested. I wonder why there's so many obsolete disc formats. Hmm. I don't know. But some of them include L D, C E D, V H D, D V H S, H D D V D. I don't know what any of those are, besides, like, what HD I is DVD. I think HD DVD. high-definition DVD somehow. I think it was a competitor to Blu-ray. Oh. But lost the battle. Hmm. Sounds like a possible topic. I think we better do something besides discs, or our listeners are going to get sick of all these discs. <laughs> hey, I didn't say the next episode, or the next, or two from now. I didn't want to turn down a... A viewer request, though, John, would you? No, of course <laughs> not. So, like, what company was behind Laserdisc? Was it just, like... Oh, I... Was the company just called Laserdisc, I or... I completely forgot to go over it... that. I'm sorry. So it was licensed, sold, and marketed as MCA DiscoVision. So that's why they had DiscoVision as a part of their marketing. Okay. Okay, interesting. Did they, like, make their own players, or did they license the tech to existing manufacturers? 
According to my research, DiscoVision is just the name of several things related to the Laserdisc format. Arcade game? Laserdisc arcade game? Wait, where did you find that? What did we both miss? I don't know. Something like that should have came up in my research. Okay, hang on, I'm gonna back up. Hmm, okay, I notice here on Wikipedia that it says the Pioneer PR7820 was the first industrial Laserdisc player capable of being controlled by an external computer and that it was used in the first US Laserdisc arcade game, Dragon's Lair? I've never heard of Dragon's Lair. You can play games on Laserdisc? And more importantly, games on an analog disc? How? Yeah, this the title's not familiar to I me get at all. And I may be young, but I know the King's Quest series, so... Apparently, Dragon's Lair is from 1983. Yup. Originally released. And then it led to the creation of 1984's Space Ace. Hmm. But how on earth was a laser disc utilized in this? I, I don't... I don't know. Because the only way I can think of it is, like, you choosing options, but not, like being able to move and do attack and whatever, because that requires completely different frame of coding. Unless, maybe it used it like a tape drive, like... Oh, that's right, because it's part of the computer. It's not the only thing. So, like, maybe the computer reads data from the disk and then oh. loads it to RAM and then a giant processes D it. A giant CD, yeah. That yeah, would make like a lot a, more sense. Yeah, it's, I'm still curious how exactly it worked. I don't know. <laughs> oh, before we wrap up, I wanted you to take a look at their website. Oh, that's right. You said it's still up. Mm-hmm. Let's see. LDDB.com. It's not necessarily used for selling Laserdisc products, but it is a database. Oh, and a fun fact on the bottom right of the really old designed webpage is... Adobe Flash is dead. Long live iCover 2.0. I don't even know what that is. <laughs> and I'm a tech guy. Uh, okay. I would guess that uh, <laughs> yeah. Flash Player lasted a bit longer because at least I know what that is. True. Interesting. You can see some stats to the left. There's 6,252 users. Wow. I don't know how active they are, though, because it doesn't tell me that. Does it have, like, uh, how many are online now? Hmm, guess not. Nope. There's this random plug-in get it now. Oh, install the LaserDisc database official open search plugin for all browsers. <laughs> uh, maybe don't. Yeah, might be a few security flaws in it. <laughs> okay, so I've... I managed to find an article on Engadget from 2016 where someone is talking about replacing the Laserdisc player in an arcade console and they sort of explain wow. uh, how exactly the Laserdisc is used. So it says, compared with modern gaming, laser games are pretty basic as far as hardware requirements go. Broken down, when playing a game, the game ROMs dictate the game flow. 
and the hardware asks the disc player to play a chapter from a laser disc. As the gamer, you, make your character's choice with proper timing, movement or action, and if you live, the program plays the next scene. If you die, the game plays a death mm-hmm. animation. Rinse and repeat. Yay. Uh, and then they go on to talk about how somebody used a Raspberry Pi to replace the Laserdisc machine in one of these arcade games. I mean, the Raspberry Pi 4 can now handle 4K output, so I wouldn't doubt that a Raspberry Pi can replace a Laserdisc. And a Raspberry Pi costs $35 compared to the, what, $600 price of, uh, or $700 price? $699. If you're including inflation, it's $3,328. So, let that sink in. Home entertainment was not cheap. (laughs) A $35 computer today can do what a $700 Laserdisc player could do in the 70s yeah and my laptop right now is a million dollar supercomputer compared to the 70s yeah have you seen the (laughs) um pictures and videos of the computer that they used on the apollo spacecraft the uh, the saturn V rockets for the apollo missions yeah those line is tech tips right yeah huh looks like you can pick up a laser disc player for 60 to 90 dollars on ebay oh maybe 60 to 150 but oh there's one that's 250 oh plus 50 shipping yeah they get expensive (laughs) yeah that's one of the things of ebay you can usually find someone that's trying to sell a monitor for two thousand dollars or something like that anyway though according to the laserdisc database website They had 4,930 users in August, and then by late July, they had 6,130. Wow. So, I guess the site is still active. How? Why? I I don't know. I I don't understand why this... I don't understand why this website exists, because it was styled like it was in 2004. Yeah. This is interesting. I found a, uh, under shops, I found, I don't know, some kind of list? Discount Laserdisc in the United States? Uh, mm. It's like listings of used Laserdiscs. Apparently on the top, there's like this little text that keeps changing as you go, as you load different pages, like randomly. And one of them was... I see dead video formats everywhere. (laughs) Okay, well, at least they uh, admit it. That's a meme. Okay, then. Hmm, the Laserdisc logo is actually kind of cool. Hmm, basic, but still pretty good. Yeah, I agree. Oh, wow, the HD DVD logo, not so much. Yeah. Yeah, basically take DVD and add HD to it. That's pretty much all it is. And then it looks like there's two other discs. It's supposed to look like it's moving really quickly. Oh. It's like like the regular DVD logo, but to the left of it, like two other shapes that are either more discs or 
the DVD moving really fast, and then the letters HD above it. Yeah. Mm. Basically, like someone decided, <laughs> let's take the DVD logo and tack another piece on. I mean, with Laserdisc, at least they were their own thing. They were just kind of based on records, but not like super copied like HD DVD was compared to DVD. According to a Technology Connections video, there were machines that could play both Laserdisc and DVD, or was it Laserdisc what? and CD? Yeah, so it used like two different lasers. It had like a red laser and an infrared laser or something like that. Hmm. It had well, like... Laserdisc wasn't really popular, so why was that created? I have no idea. Huh, do you know the price? Uh, haven't a clue. Aww. Probably not cheap. Yeah. <laughs> and I think it had like two separate trays. I, I think like to load a CD, just one small area would open up. And then to load a laser disc, the entire front of the tray would open up or, or something like that. I never would have guessed that you could use laser discs for games, though. I mean, you can kind of use DVDs for games. You're just very limited with the interface. It's just, okay, play this chapter. All right, make your choice. Usually, at least in my experience, they just freeze and wait for you to make the choice. And then it does the thing you tell it to, or it plays the scene that leads with that choice, and then it keeps going from there. Right, right. You make the wrong choice, and then you just, like, wobble and fall over dead. I mean, the ones I've experienced as a kid, I, I didn't die, mainly because it was, it was just an extra of a movie. Killing off characters wouldn't exactly be the best idea. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, you're exploring this island, and there's some cyclops, and then, oh yeah, everybody got beat to death except the dog, he ran away, he's arrived. Wait, what? <laughs> okay. That of course did not happen. Right. What did happen is that we ran out of stuff to talk about. We should update you guys on what's going on with the transition to a new hosting provider. Most of it seems to have gone fairly well, although I think some people may have had duplicate episodes appear in their feeds. If that happened to you, unsubscribing and resubscribing should fix the problem. If not, shoot us an email let us know and we'll try to figure out what's going on with that. I think everyone on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and Spotify should have not even noticed a difference and everything should have been completely automatic. And for those of you who were subscribed directly to our RSS feed, the old RSS feed redirects to the new one now, but if you do want to change over to the new RSS feed, that will be in the show notes. Otherwise, everything seems to have gone well. I should add that we will continue to upload to SoundCloud for a couple more episodes, but after that, we're going to leave SoundCloud. We encourage you to switch over to iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or Spotify. We'll be back next week for more Ridiculous Tech Stuff. See you then.